get your Bibles out, I don't, we don't have the scripture up on the wall today, so we're going to have to do it old school, and uh, if you will turn into the book of Galatians, that's going to be in the uh, New Testament, one of the letters to Paul, and uh, Roger and, and Sean and I have been getting together once a week and just reading through the scripture and trying to, you know, just hear it speak into our own lives and hearts and thinking about different illustrations that would work to help teach the points of the scripture. And we got to this, um, this teaching, and we really felt like the last two or three weeks that we could really use that story of David and Nathan um, to speak, speak, speak hope and speak direction into our lives. We, if you looked at the front uh, cover today, there's those places in your life where there is, um, you know, you've got to turn around, but you don't know how in the world you're going to get that done. If you look at that picture, one side's the cliff and the other side's the wall. There is no, um, you know, it's going to be really, really tough to make a U-turn here. Uh, sometimes we have people like David that come into our lives and, and suggest to us what would be a better way than we're going. And sometimes we want to listen to them and sometimes we do not. And when we were reading the scripture and thinking about the story of, of David and Nathan, um, Sean came up with this clip from the um, sitcom The Office. And it just, it's, it's a Sean thing, you know? So <laughs> want you to enjoy it. Proceed straight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 no, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right, so take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe turn. Maybe it's a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake there. Nathan knows straight. where it is going. This is the, the lake. machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's Stop not yelling. yelling. There's no lake here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window! Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Look out for Nathan! Michael! Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Michael! Michael! You let go! Uh, let go of sure you're okay? Fine. Good. That is what's most important. Did you get the rental insurance? Because that is pretty important too at a time like this. <laughs> Let me read to you from Galatians chapter 6, verse starting with verse 1. It's on, on uh, 1,171 if you'd like to be there. 1,171. I'll wait a little bit. Looks like we've got some people waiting. Chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters. Okay, look at it right now. We're not talking about, this isn't for general public knowledge. Brothers and sisters. It's talking to people who all believe in Jesus Christ. 
because of, of brothers and sisters. This is how we are to, to be with each other. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test his own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, I want you to um, think back with me, um, probably about fifth grade. How many of you, when you were in school, got to have your very own locker? Okay, and on the locker, what did you get to put? A padlock, right? Combination had to learn how to do that. Turn to the left, turn to the right twice, turn back to the left. And so you had in your head your your um, locker combination. Now, I, I just this morning, I don't know why, but I thought to myself, you know, I'm not very good at remembering numbers, but I still remember when I was in second grade. Uh, that was when we got modern rotary telephone in my house. Up to that point, you had literally had the one with the wall that you spoke into and had that. Yeah, we, I think we were the only place in the whole country that still had the other kind of phone. I remember, and I remember my phone number, 217-248-3961. Now, I don't know why, but it stuck. I'm going to give you a combination of numbers that I hope will stick with you forever. So if you'd like to write this down, you can take this with you wherever you go in life, and hopefully it will be truly a uh, combination that will help unlock for you God's love. First number is 32. The next number is 51. 32, 51. I didn't ever realize this before. Three and two, five, 51, five times one is five. See, that? I have to do things like that to, remember, to get the numbers in my head. So 32, 51. Last number is 103. 32, 51, 103. Now I want to share with you a scripture that's from Acts 13.22. You don't have to go there. I just want to prove something to you that's in scripture. I'm not making this up. But there is in scripture in Acts 13.22, God testifies this about the, the man David. Okay, He says about David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, I'm thinking, if I have a resume someday, would it not be cool to have on my resume, God said, Joy is a woman after my own heart. She will do everything that I need.
people to do. Would that not be good? To think you have that on your resume, that God has that kind of feeling about you. Okay. Now, let me just, in case you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, maybe you've got the flu or whatever, and you're finally back into a groove, let me just share with you a little bit about David, who we're talking about. David, who was the second king of Israel. David, who was a shepherd boy. David, who um, was anointed by the prophet Samuel. And when he was a young man, um, pulled up, they poured oil on him and said, you're going to be the next king of Israel. He was an incredible musician. Not only could he play the harp, like with the smoke coming off the strings, but he wrote music, too. And we still have the lyrics to his songs in the Bible. Many, many of the Psalms, if you look, the person who wrote it, who gets credit for the lyrics, is David. He was a person who would take on the giant uh, Goliath. Everybody else who was in the army was scared to death this guy. And he, as a shepherd boy, walked in without any armor on or anything, took on Goliath and killed him with one stone. He, he went to battle, battle after battle after battle. He was always victorious. And finally, he is in a place in his life that all of the tribes of Israel have voted and want him to be their king. It's the first time that everybody's on the same page politically. He has gone in just before we get to this chapter that we're going to go through in, first, in 2 Samuel. He's just gone in and taken on possession of Jerusalem, and that's big. You and I don't get it, but Jerusalem was at the highest um, geographical topography, just the highest point in Israel. If you want to be king, you got to take that, because then you can see enemies coming in from north, south, east, west. You want that to be your place of government, okay? So he is he's living in his palace. He even loves the Lord so much he's feeling guilty that he's got a palace and there isn't a temple or any place to worship God in Jerusalem. And so he makes plans to build. And Nathan the prophet says, man, God loves it that you love him that much. You want to do that. But you know what? You've got a lot of blood on your hands from fighting all these battles. Could somebody else, I'll choose to build that temple for, for me. But I love you, David, because you love me so much. Okay, that's the guy. That's the guy that falls into deep, deep sin. He made, there was a, a place in the road, and he chooses to go in a way that's far, far from God. And I, I tell you all this about him to let you know that nobody is safe. Even somebody who has on their resume their heart goes after God and that he would do everything that God wants to do. Not even that person is safe. And so I just want you to know that we cannot ever think that we won't do something wrong, that we would never have to be in a place to have to admit guilt to a, a crime we think we committed. Ask somebody who's in the, in the midst of an affair, and did they really think that they would ever be in that place? Ask somebody who's addicted to a prescription drug and is buying it illegally. Ask them if they ever thought that they would find themselves in that in that place. It is a, 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 a place that we just need to recognize 
we could all be vulnerable. Now, if you will go with me to 2 Samuel, it's chapter 11. And um, one of the days when I was going through this myself, I realized he really went bankrupt this day. And if you ever think about finance, you know, you have to um, decide chapter 11 and your finances, you know that that's a bad place to be. So chapter, chapter 11, 2 Samuel, we have this story about David. And what happens to him? The first thing that happens is, um, you know, he's he's living in so much success that he decides to not have that relationship with God that he'd had in the past. And you'll look, you can read through chapter eleven on your own later. But I'll just take take my word for it. There's no there's no prayer, there's no Bible study, there's no worship. There isn't any way for him to get to get connected with God. And you know what? Somebody who's that successful, that's the danger. Because I'll tell you, when you're in the midst of a deep problem, you just find yourself praying to God more than once a day. But once things are in a good place, it's really hard to find time for God. Because you just get so busy and you get to that thing like, I can handle this. I mean, God, you go on and work with other people that are having problems. I can do this myself. And so he does that. He, he gets in that place. He's not in a, a, close, a personal relationship with God on a daily basis. He is in a place that he's starting to isolate himself. He sends everybody else to go fight a war, and he stays home. And then it says in chapter 11, he gets up from the couch to go look over the city of Jerusalem. Now, I'll just tell you, he's taking a nap. Okay, It doesn't say that, but that's what it means. And I, I'm all for Sunday afternoon naps. Okay? Sometimes people take naps on Sunday morning. I see you guys. <laughs> I try really hard to talk louder or walk the aisle a little bit, just in case. But, you know, there are times that people take naps because they don't have anything else to do. And that's basically what's happened to David. And I'll just tell you that one of the places get people get in trouble is when they're not doing anything for the Lord. Then you're just consumed with this stuff. And that's a bad place to be because your priorities can get really out of whack. So he's out on the roof, and he looks out, and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba. That I just cannot believe that God did that name to Bathsheba. And she's out taking a bath, and he noticed how beautiful she is. And so he sends someone to find out who she is. And they come back, and they have a warning. You'll notice it in that scripture. He said, well, she's the granddaughter of one of your, um, your uh, advisors. She's the wife of Uriah. And they're like, oh, what? But David doesn't listen. And he asks somebody to go get her. And so they have a physical relationship. And she goes back home. And then she sends word that she's pregnant. And then he goes and sends word to have Uriah's husband brought home. And then he sends up a, sets up a situation that he's hoping will cover his tracks with Uriah being in his home. But that doesn't work out because Uriah has more uh, integrity than King David, and he won't go home. He doesn't feel like he could enjoy being at home when all of his friends and all of his um, the who are under his leadership don't get to be at home. And so he sleeps at the city gate. So David takes him and gets him drunk. And sends him back. 
and and Uriah, even in his drunken state, would not do what he could not do with his with uh, integrity. And so David sends word with Uriah to Joab, the leader, that says, "Make sure that Uriah is in a place that he's killed to cover up my mistake." And David. I want to show you that I know that to be true. If you look at, cha- at, at chapter 11, okay? When you look at chapter 11, turn the page to the very last verse of chapter 11 that says, But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now, then you have chapter 12. But look, there's just empty space there. There's nothing there. But let me tell you, there's about seven and a half months of time that goes on. And David is miserable. He is living in the ugly place of his guilt. And I know this to be true because of Psalm 32. That's the first number. Psalm 32, if you um, want to put like your bulletin in um, chapter 12 and go with me to Psalm 32, let me read to you what I, that the reason I know that David's miserable for seven and a half months. Psalm 32 is on page 553. You notice who's written this psalm? It's David. And it says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions, that sins, are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no, and in whose spirit is what? No deceit. He's living in his deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Do you understand how miserable he is? My bones wasted away through my groaning all night. My strength was sapped. Your hand was heavy on me day and night. He has lived in utter the pain and the guilt that's heavy on him. The Holy Spirit's been working on him. So look at chapter chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan. Now up to this point, David has been sending people out to get Bathsheba and sending people to get... Um, Uriah and sending word to go up. He's been in charge, or he thought he was. But the Lord says, I'm sending you Nathan. Now Nathan was somebody who was a, a close, a close companion to, to David. David took Nathan's wisdom in helping to make decisions for the country. They had a long tenure together. David was somebody that needed some somebody who would really, really pay attention to. You remember the guy that told him that Uriah is, is um, Bathsheba is Uriah's wife? He didn't pay attention to him. But he's sending somebody that has some clout in David's life. And, and he says this to David. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. 
The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. He's talking about a pet. They're pet sheep. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it. He took the fat and killed it and fed it to the traveler. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives to your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had not been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what's evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who's close to you and who will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The place of brokenness is the very beginning to a place of restoration in redemption. That place where David finally said, I have sinned against the Lord. And that was when all the misery, all the guilt, all the damage to his heart and mind and soul began to heal. And we know that because he was willing to admit that he had sinned. And I'll tell you, go to Psalm 51. I don't have to, this isn't just my idea. This is David. Psalm 51. David has a prayer. He prays to the Lord. And if you think about what he's just been admitting to, think about that as we read these words. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Do you get this? He can't get away from the ways he knows he's done. I mean, this is played over and over and over in his head that he's done. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Look at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Look at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, then further down on verse 17, David says, 
You don't want a sacrifice from me. You don't want a gift from me. What you want from me is a broken heart. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. So that's a place where he has to admit, in 32, I've got to admit that I have sinned against the Lord. And Psalm 51 tells us how to do that. And now there's that place where Nathan doesn't need God. You'll see it if you continue to read on into 2 Samuel. Nathan doesn't turn his back on him. Nathan doesn't quit his friendship with him. Nathan stays with him. Not only when he's doing it wrong, but as he's turning it around to do it right. Nathan is there for him. He is a trustworthy friend. And then we have, uh, just as in reflection, Psalm 32. He is teaching us about how good it is to be forgiven. Let me just read for you. Think about these words. About he's, he's confessed to God, and now he's in that place. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. In other words, you ever felt like you're just about ready to drown in your guilt? You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I can be free. You will deliver me from this guilt and this sin. And then he goes on to say, and I love this, I will instruct you and teach you to go the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And then he has a warning to people. He says, don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding and must be controlled by a bit and a bridle so they'll not or they will not come to you. He says, Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts him. Can you trust him to forgive you and to give you a second chance? Can you trust him to be completely honest with God and know that he would offer grace and mercy to you? Now, as I, David did, and, and David did receive that, that forgiveness. And he went on to, to uh, live years in the blessed grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just share with you, as I thought through this time that we're going to have together today, early, early this morning, I wrote out a list of places that people get caught. And they are just as bound up as if, if they were in chains or ropes. And they can't, they're not free. They're not free to live their life. They're not free to enjoy their families. They're not free to be all that God has called them to be because they are wrapped up in their sin. And it's un, unforgiven sin because they haven't given it to the Lord. They haven't declared and said, I am guilty. Alcohol substance abuse. It may be illegal drugs. It could be prescription drugs. Pornography. Statistics will tell us that there are people in this room that have been on pornography drugs. And some on a regular basis. An affair. Be it a chat room 
to a, a co-worker, to someone who you went to high school with, and they're divorced, and now they're on your Facebook and saying, love to get back together with you. Lying. It's someone that you know you need to forgive, and you've been hardened in bitterness for a really long time. A gambling addiction. There's tension in the home, and there's a loved one, a spouse, or child, and they've asked you to go to counseling with them, and you've refused to do that. Because if you go and the counselor points out the things that you're doing wrong, you don't really want to hear that to be shown guilty, you know. So you let the tension and the the dysfunction continue. Credit card abuse. Unable to stay on budget. Your family continues to get a spiral of financial crisis. This list that I came up with, it's probably a whole lot more that could be put on that list that I hadn't thought of. But you know how I got this list? It's because I've lived those situations with people in church. People who, who had a heart after God and who got caught in the guilt. I mean, I'll tell you that I've said this more than once. When someone finally comes and, and admits the sin, I will say to them, this was probably you thought the Lord saved your life. But I'm telling you, there's going to come a day that you are going to say, this was one of the best days of my life because this is the day I said you get saved. Because the truth will set you free. Now, there's another part of this story. There's the nation. You know, we're kind of focusing on the David. But there's the nation. And you share your story. I'm going to fire this story. We had a, a gentleman in one of our churches, very, very um, wonderful giving of time and, and love for the Lord. And he had a, an operation, and he had to go on some pain um, medication. And he, he got into a spiral of being addicted to painkillers, and he started buying them illegally, and then finally got caught. And when we... We're in the muck of the justice system with him. And Roger had a conversation with him. He said, you know, I, I knew that you were having problems. And the guy looked him in the eye and said, Roger, why didn't you ever say something? You know, in our society, we have this place of privacy and personal space and whatever. But my word, this will never happen again. And sometimes you have to have those really awkward conversations. I hate those conversations to have to get into the, in the, through the face of a brother or sister and say, I know this is going on. And I'm just telling you, you need to turn around. You need to make these changes. You need help. You need to admit there's a problem. So what I would like, uh, and I just feel God leading me to do today, 
and she can't spend quiet time in the pew. I need to bless all her kids. Thank you. About something that you need to kind of end with. Or there may be a place where you have, um, you know somebody that's in trouble. And you've been kind of thinking, I ought to do it. No, I don't want to do it. No, 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 no. You know, maybe the reason that you're sitting here today hearing this is because this is God's affirmation that this is the time you need to step in and, and in love and champion this. Not in accusing somebody. Not saying, I'm better than you. But saying, I care enough about you to be have this honest conversation with you. So if you would, would you bow to your head? We're going to have some private moments with the Lord. Heavenly Father, you claim to be, you said yourself, I am truth, I claim to set you free. Lord, sometimes it is really hard to be truthful. We're afraid of what other people are going to think of us. We're afraid that we're going to have to live in the consequences of our sin. But Father, when we are truly honest with you, you are truly free in you. So I pray, Father, that where people are afraid, you would give them courage and also your presence in undeniable ways that they would know that you, they are, they're safe with you. And that you will not leave them and you will be truly with them in the days ahead. I remember driving up to Iowa City the other day and having a radio station on. And they were talking about people who hang on to these secrets and how the secrets become so controlling and so emancipating. And I remember the man who, who called in was working in uh, Lake Michigan on a boat. And his testimony that he did something so bad and he got away with it years ago. And he finally came and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and he finally went to the authorities and, and told them what he'd done. you redeemed him out of all of that and he was full of faith that he left in a place to be honest with you and honest with himself. Father, I pray for those people that we have in our minds right now and in our hearts that you know they are bound in the lies they tell themselves and their desperate situations and they need help. And they're afraid. Father, where you're calling us to be a maker, give us the word to say it, the right heart to say it, and help us to see the door of opportunity that you have prepared a rest for us. 
thank you that you are such a God of grace and that none of us are worthy of your love. The only price that we deserve to be is at the foot of the cross, receiving your grace and mercy. And Lord, we need to do that today to be restored to you. Help us do that individually. In your Father's name. And we say this in your name, Jesus.